Okay, so I know that one of the Apollos crashed, I think. It had a teacher on it or something? Anyway, I don't think it's this one, and I don't think that Tom Hanks plays Buzz Aldrin because they do not look the same. But I also kind of only know Buzz Aldrin as an old man. Either way, if my coworker just tricked me into watching Tom Hanks die, I'm gonna lose my shit. Uh, you don't know that? All right. Welcome to episode one of You Don't Know That, the podcast. The beginning of me revealing to the world just how dumb I really am. I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but also, I really don't know a lot of things that I should. And today, we're starting with Apollo 13, a movie that has Tom Hanks in it, based off of the DVD cover, and seems to be about space. Hmm. All right, what else do I know? I genuinely have not heard a single reference to this movie that I know of. I don't think that there are any iconic lines, but the real space race had the uh, one giant leap for man. No, that's not right. Uh, One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's it. Got it. Nailed it. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Endless void. And I'm imagining applauding for me for knowing that basic fact. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, they launched out of Cape Canaveral, which is based in Florida. One of the only good things in Florida, I think. Sorry to any Floridians listening to this, but I'm assuming that it's just my mom and she's not from Florida. So I think I'm safe. Um, I know we landed on the moon in 1969, and I think it was an initiative of President Kennedy's. But that's all I got. So let's get to learning, and I'll be right back. Ashley's out researching things, and she'll be back in one, two, three, four. Okay, uh, full disclosure, podcast listener, maybe you're plural, but again, I'm assuming, hi, mom. But dear God, I was off. (laughs) I mean, okay, first off, this movie is not about the moon landing. That was Apollo 11, apparently, not Apollo 13. So let's get started with the first correction of what I'm sure will be many in the course of this podcast. Based off of what I said to you about two minutes ago, there are indeed famous lines from this movie, the most notable of which is probably Houston, we have a problem. Although I will say, after doing some research, that is not the actual line, which segues nicely into the research portion of this podcast. So let's get into what I researched. But first, if you're a big space fan, I'm sure I'm not gonna 100% nail this per se, but it's about the journey, right? So here we go. Also, I write all my notes down on paper because I'm secretly 85. So if you hear some rustling, it's me. I'm sorry. I'm sure I'll find a better system as we go further with this, but right now I'm just trying to actually figure out how to record myself and counting that as a win. Back to the movie. 
This movie was actually really fascinating, and it had me on the edge of my seat the entire time because I just could not believe that this actually happened. But in case you don't know, like I didn't, Apollo 11 was the first Apollo mission that actually landed on the moon, and that is the one that everyone knows in 1969 that had Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin who actually do cameo in the film, not as themselves, but actors playing them in a way that was kind of adorable. But the actual first Apollo mission to orbit the moon was Apollo 8. And Jim Lovell, the pilot of Apollo 13, was on Apollo 8 as well. And he actually was one of the most experienced space pilots in the biz at the time, as the astronauts (laughs) totally say. But He was super qualified. So Apollo 13's goal wasn't actually necessarily to land on the moon because Apollo 11 did that. Uh, Apollo 12 focused on more of a precise landing, but Apollo 13, their actual focus was to get a bunch of rocks, get a bunch of lunar samples. It had a geology focus. So the nerds of the bunch, am I right? Anyway... Um, So Jim Lovell was the captain. He actually flew with Buzz Aldrin before, which I thought was a cool fun fact. And the other two pilots were Jack Swigert and Fred Hayes. Jack Swigert was a last minute replacement because a couple of days before the flight was supposed to take off, the crew was actually exposed to measles, which sucks. Like, I guess there wasn't a vaccine at the time, maybe? But can you imagine, like, you learn how to be a pilot and you have to be in like prime physical shape as a human and then all of a sudden you don't get to go to space because of the measles like because of the measles that's crazy overall they spent about a thousand hours training for this trip which was going to be 10 days long they took off on april 11th 1970 which is super interesting that i happen to be recording this this year, just a couple of months after the 50th anniversary of what happened. Like, that's crazy. Also, when I was doing my research, NASA released a video in honor of the 50th anniversary in which Jim Lovell talks about what it was like. And he's so chill about the whole thing. Like, I feel like if my ship exploded in the middle of space, I would drive everywhere forever. And he's super chill about it. Like, I don't think I would ever talk about it ever again. Like, just repress that shit. You know what I mean? But anyway, he's more on top of it than I am. And he also seems like a delightful old man. I see why they chose Tom Hanks to play him. Also, I realize that I kind of just spoiled what's about to happen to his ship. But I mean, I'm going to talk about it in the next 20 seconds. So spoiler alert, I guess. Two days later, on the 13th of April, the astronauts have a broadcast that actually wasn't super popular at the time because people were kind of over it after the first moon landing, which again, at the time that I'm filming this, or I guess more accurately, I should say recording this, right? Recording this? Yeah. At the time that I'm recording this, there we go, the SpaceX launch has just gone off like a week or two ago. And I feel like it was such a big deal on that actual day, but the world is such a dumpster fire right now with just everything that we've got going on that it was kind of a blip. But on that day, it was huge. I mean, it was live streamed everywhere. 
And the astronauts live streaming themselves from space on Apollo 13, again, only the third mission to ever go to the moon anyway, had 3 million less viewers than the original broadcast of Neil's moon landing, which I feel like is insane because at the time, it was such a technological marvel. And I feel like now it's still such a technological marvel to send a human being to the fucking moon. Like, that's crazy. And especially in the SpaceX launch, just a quick aside, the interior was so sleek compared to the buttons in Apollo 13, which, according to my research, were insanely accurate. So it was kind of cool to appreciate, after having just seen the SpaceX launch, how much further we are tech-wise than we were in the 70s. But also, for some reason, the touchscreen in the dragon i think is what the ship was called anyway it made me nervous because i don't know for some reason i feel like an anti-gravity like one screw comes loose and then you don't have a button left in your ship to push in case shit hits the fan right like i feel like there should be a couple remaining buttons that are shit hits the fan buttons but it was all so sleek that i don't know what you would do if it had to power off which they had to turn the power off in Apollo 13. <laughs> Bringing it back around. That's called a segue, ladies and gentlemen. So let's get to what actually happened. So they had that broadcast, which wasn't super popular. And then roughly six minutes later, Mission Control asked one of the astronauts to turn on a switch that would essentially stir the oxygen tanks. Because of the temperature in space, The oxygen tanks tend to do this thing called striate, which is essentially make like a bunch of different layers and some of which is slush, I believe. So they would stir it in order to get a more accurate reading of how much oxygen the astronauts had left. Totally a routine deal. Flip the switch, tanks stir, mission control gets their reading, move on. It was supposed to happen once a day during the course of the mission. So this is day three. and. The astronaut turns on the switch to mix the oxygen tank and it explodes. And I mean, it really exploded. Overall, it blew off the entire service module part of the spacecraft, removing all oxygen stores within about three hours, along with water, electrical power, and their ability to use their propulsion system. All of which kind of seems important when you're in the middle of fucking space. The astronauts were able to look out the window and see the oxygen gas just going off into space. It's insane. And it was at that point that the line happened that's actually misquoted in the film, but it was Houston, we've had a problem here, which Tom Hanks changed to the iconic Houston, we have a problem. My worst nightmare aside, Essentially, the astronauts had about 15 minutes to get what they needed to and then climb into the lunar module in order to use it as sort of a life raft. They also had to turn off all of the electricity in order to conserve it to use for their kind of course correction and sort of slingshot around the moon that they did. So it got incredibly cold in the spacecraft to the point where it was so cold they could barely sleep. Additionally, it was so cold that water condensed pretty much on every single surface inside of the aircraft. Jim Lovell talks about it in the 50th anniversary video, 
but he said it was just basically water on every possible surface. And with their kind of outdated buttons, they ran, they ran the risk of electrically shorting out their system on top of everything else. It was just kind of one thing after another, after another, after another. And it really freaking happened, which is insane. One of the things that happened was their CO2 levels were getting too high in the lunar module, running risk of essentially suffocation. So they had to figure out how to fix the filters, which they genuinely did. They MacGyvered this. Essentially, their problem was that the canister was square from the module in which they were staying, but the hole in the lunar module, their new life raft, was circular. So this was an adult version of trying to fit a square peg into a circular hole, but they managed to do it with a spacesuit hose, some cardboard, tape, and a plastic bag. Like, that's some major DIY skills. One of the other problems they had was upon re-entry, Apparently, if you re-enter the atmosphere at too shallow of an angle, you will essentially skip off like a rock on top of a lake, which to me is horrifying because it's a very small margin between making it back and then, I don't know, launching yourself into the sun? The thing that's different between the movie and what actually happened was the movie kind of made it seem like it was a simple matter of weight, which... They said that they were underweight because they were supposed to come back with moon rocks, but obviously after the explosion, didn't land on the moon. However, it was a much, much bigger problem than just the matter of a couple of moon rocks because what really happened was the astronauts were coming back in the lunar module, which was the part of the spacecraft originally meant to be left on the moon. So... It was a completely differently sized craft than what they had anticipated. All of that aside, I'm not even going to try to get into the, I don't know, astrophysicist? No, that's not right. Engineering problem of getting Apollo 13 back. Physics problem? Science problem. I studied environmental chem. I don't know what term it is, but you know what I mean. What I thought was the most interesting part of this whole thing is what actually caused the explosion. So the movie kind of makes it seem like there's some tension between the three astronauts, especially with Jack Swigert, who was the replacement for the astronaut that got exposed to the measles. But in real life, they all knew Jack Swigert, and they worked perfectly fine as a team. I think the movie just tried to add some drama between their characters for, you know, the drama. But overall, they kind of made it seem like Jack thought it was his fault at one point and that they might think it was Jack's fault. But at the end of the day, it wasn't. Fascinatingly, the problem actually comes from two years before Apollo 13 ever took off. The tank that exploded was oxygen tank number two. And in 1968, tank number two was actually in California. Um, At the time, two technicians who were handling the tank actually dropped it on the warehouse floor, about two inches. So not a far drop, but still a drop. They tested the tank, and they thought that there wasn't any detectable damage. And years later, that tank was cleared for flight and installed in Apollo 13. To be fair, that tank did pass all of the routine tests that were done before the launch. I mean, remember, these guys did a thousand hours of training. There were definitely tests that happened on the spacecraft, especially since Apollo 1 blew up. So NASA was already really trying to make sure that everything was good because Apollo 1's accident was from a faulty door. 
It sounded horrific. Anyway, at the end of 1970, they did a practice session which was called the Countdown Demonstration Test. And the ground crews tried to empty tank number two, but they couldn't do it because the small tube that was used to fill and empty the tank of liquid oxygen had been damaged by that drop on the factory floor two years earlier. However, to get around the problem, instead of just replacing the tank, they turned heaters on inside the tank to try to warm up the remaining liquid oxygen to turn it into the gas that we all know and love to breathe, you know, as humans. And then they would just take that gas and vent it to the outside. Easy. The thermostat that was in the tank was supposed to prevent the tank from getting too hot during this heating process. And I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it was supposed to get around 80 degrees Fahrenheit. But the thermostat didn't work. As the temperature inside the tank rose, the thermostat welded shut from the electricity and the technicians didn't notice. So the inside of the tank actually got up to closer to 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And remember, they were shooting for 80, so this is over 100 times hotter than it was supposed to be. No, over 10 times hotter than it was supposed to be. Math. The intense heat that the tank was exposed to damaged the insulation on the inside, um, and including some of the wiring inside the tank. So... At the time, no one really knew, but that oxygen tank had essentially made itself into a small bomb, which was later triggered on April 13th, 1970, when Swigert turned the fans on inside the oxygen tank to stir it, which caused a spark and caused the tank to explode. On the bright side, after the Apollo 13 explosion, NASA re-engineered its oxygen tanks, and it never had an issue like that again. However, it's just so crazy to me to think that you had some of the top minds in the nation, and maybe even the world, and yet this one random sequence of events, like dropping an oxygen tank two years before a spacecraft takes off, can lead to such disastrous consequences. And I don't know, part of me just thinks that sometimes... It's Murphy's Law, and that what will go wrong will go wrong. And maybe don't blame yourself so hard when things go wrong, because at the end of the day, it could be something that happened two years before you even knew what you were doing. I don't know. I mean, Jim Lovell in the 50th anniversary video, which again, I highly recommend. It's seven minutes. It's a good watch. After all that he went through, he said the key to successfully getting him back home wasn't necessarily being the smartest person in the room but it was teamwork, good leadership, and the initiative and creativity to think outside of the box. And I don't know. I guess that's what I really needed to take away from this movie. And I think I did. And I hope you did. And I hope you learned something here today. And with that, I think that's going to be the end of episode one. If you made it this far, thank you for listening to the premiere episode if you enjoyed this episode and are looking forward to more, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. If you would like to follow us on social media for updates and photos, you can follow us at You Don't Know Pod, that's You Don't Know P-O-D, on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a recommendation for something for me to research for you, or a story about you not knowing something until way later in life than you should have, 
there's no judgment here, and you can email me at youdon'tknowthatthepodcast at gmail.com. And since this is the first episode, I would like to end with a couple of quick thank yous. Thank you to Madeline for the cover art, and thank you to Todd for both jingles that you heard earlier in the episode. And lastly, thank you to my friends and coworkers who have told me forever that I should make a podcast. I didn't think I'd be able to talk to myself for 20 straight minutes, but here we are, and I learned something, and it was fun. So here's to the next one.